and good morning. So good to see all of you this morning, to be able to worship together, um, to wait on the Lord together, um, and to open up his word. I'm so grateful um, just to be here with you this morning. I look out in the room, I see many faces I don't know. Um, as I often say, I just want to encourage you. I'd love a chance to meet you. I uh, would love to pray with you. love to encourage you in any way that I can. At the end of our service, I'll be right down here at the front along with a few of our other elders and uh, a couple ladies from our women's ministry will also be down. And just uh, even now, if you're thinking you'd like to um, just be encouraged in prayer um, or if there's an opportunity, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love uh, an opportunity to do that. Uh, we are continuing or and finishing, as I promised last week, um, I am true to my word, uh, we are completely our study in the book of First John this morning. Um, and we have been walking through this book over the last many months. And as we come to the end of this book, and knowing that there are some of you who have not been with us, not journeyed with us through this series, I want to just catch you up as we look at these last few verses at what John has been teaching us with a reason that he wrote this letter. Um, the Apostle John, at the very end of his life, um, is confronting the reality that some false teaching had come into the church. That false teaching was known as Gnosticism, and that's a big word that just essentially means what they were teaching was that Jesus was not who he said he was. Um, these Gnostics, this false teaching that had come into the church and began to have some influence in the church um, was leading people to believe that either a few different things, they had a few different sort of tentacles that this could unfold. Either Jesus was just a man who at his baptism, God's spirit descended upon him. And then at his death on the cross, God's spirit left him. Their belief in that is that God could not join with flesh because God is holy and flesh is always evil and there's nothing of the earthly realm that could be redeemed. Some others taught that Jesus was just sort of a vision, that he wasn't real, and they just saw him. And so God's spirit was here, but the flesh, again, because God and the uh, flesh cannot be joined together, um, they, he couldn't be real. And as John has unfolded for us throughout this book, the reality of, of that false teaching and the challenge of that is that if Jesus did not come, then he could not lay down his life on the cross. He could not be a sacrifice to atone for sin. And so that theology, that bad theology unravels and it has so many implications for life. And so John is writing this letter to the church to remind them of what is true that Jesus is the Son of God and that he did come in the flesh as the God man. And that we can know this Jesus and we have seen him. And of course, John is writing as one who spent many years with Jesus, as an apostle, walking with Jesus and knowing him. And he wants the church to, be rem to remember what they know to be true. Again, he's writing to believers. And as he says these things, little children and family talks in those terminologies. We know that this is written to the church to people who at one time knew the truth, but perhaps had begun to be led astray. And John wants to confront this. And he confronts it. And in verse 13, as we ended last week, we'll begin there this morning, we get the theme of this entire book. So I'd encourage you to go catch up. If you haven't been a part of this uh, series, you can go wherever you find a podcast. You can find our study in First John. Just look up City Church Melissa. But let me just give you the answer to the test. Here is the theme of First John. Next time you're in that quiz and you have to answer that on your exam, the theme of First John is verse 13. Of chapter 5, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know. John wants his hearers in that church and preserve for us 
He wants us to know, God's word tells us that we can know we have eternal life. We don't have to hope we have eternal life. We don't have to uh, sort of guess that we might have eternal life. We don't have to think maybe if I do these things or kind of keep things going in the right direction that eternal life will be mine. No, because of Jesus, we can know that we know that we know that we know we have eternal life. This is the message of 1 John, and this is very good news. So starting in verse 13, I'm going to continue there. And if you would please rise out of reverence for God's word as I finish out 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God and does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Lord Jesus, I pray that through the study of your word that your spirit would enlighten our hearts and open up our minds to know the confidence that we have because of you, Jesus. Confidence that was secured for us through your vicarious death on the cross for my sins and the sins of the world. I pray that every soul in this room would know that you laid down your life out of your deep love for them and paid the final penalty for their sins. There's anyone who doubts, who lacks confidence this morning, who isn't sure, Jesus, strengthen them, give them confidence. Let them believe in what you have done for them, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as John has been confronting this false teaching And this desire that he has in his heart that the believers, the church, would know that they have eternal life, he's given them these various tests, tests to, in a sense, evaluate what they believe and what they know. All throughout this book, he says, if you know God, then you will love God, and out of your love for God, you'll love one another. That's one of the tests that he gives the church. You'll know that you love God, you know that you're a follower of God by the way you love one another. He says in another place, if you know God, you will practice righteousness. In a sense, obedience will flow from your life. It will be a regular practice of your life. Because of your love for God, there will be obedience. I preached on this. I'm not going to do it again already, but just make sure you don't ever get that out of order, friends. It's not obedience that leads to the love of God. It is the love of God that then drives us to obedience, and we have to keep that order in the right place. He also says in another place, if you know God, you will believe in Jesus. You will believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You will believe the testimony that John has given concerning Jesus, that he is the God-man, that he came in the flesh. And because of that, he could go to the cross. He could atone for the sins of the world. These are all the things that John is telling us we can know 
And it leads ultimately to this knowledge, again, that we would have confidence in eternal life. That we could know that you have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing more that I desire that each and every one of you would know that you have eternal life. Because when you know that you have eternal life, everything else falls underneath that. Everything is supported by that knowledge that you have of what Christ has done for you. This is the confidence, by the way, that we see sometimes pictured in children. Children often reflect our relationship to God the Father is sometimes reflected in the way that we have these earthly relationships with our own children or our nieces and nephews and those little ones. If you've ever been around a child, you know that they don't really ask if they are going to eat. They just ask when and where and how much. They have complete confidence that food will be available. When they grow older, they just walk in the door to the pantry just knowing that food will be available. And it is if there's been some act of the enemy when food isn't readily available to them. They have complete confidence. There's no doubt in their mind where food is because they know the love of their mom and dad and it will provide for them. Little ones, climb up in your lap. They do not ask permission to do that. You are sitting there enjoying something, reading a book, enjoying something on the television, and you just feel these little hands begin to scale your legs as they climb up in your lap without asking any permission because they have complete confidence that where they belong is in your arms, in your lap. They demand that you stay up with them until they fall asleep. They don't ask. This isn't something that they think is conditional. This is just what you do because your mom or your dad, you're going to stay up with them. This is the confidence of a child. And John wants us to have this type of confidence with our Heavenly Father to know that we have eternal life, that we don't have to ever doubt that. There's not a question about that. And confidence in this eternal life that is secured for us by Christ is the greatest confidence we can have. We've all seen people who have self-confidence. We've have seen people that have confidence in other things. But there is nothing that compares to having confidence in the life that has been secured for you by Christ. That's this whole book is a testimony to who the real Jesus is. And John's argument that we can know this Jesus and that because of our knowledge of who he is and what he has done for us, we have eternal life. Think about this. If I know that I have eternal life, what else can come against me? And it's usually if I go the opposite direction, if I think of where I might struggle in life, it's usually that I am in some way forgetting the life that has been secured for me by Christ. Why do I struggle with pride? Because I've forgotten that I have eternal life and I don't have to prove to myself to anyone. Why might I struggle with greed? Because I've forgotten that I have eternal life and no amount of earthly riches compare to the riches of eternal life with God forever. Why might I struggle with anger? Because I forget that I have eternal life and I don't have to defend myself to anyone because I am secure in who Christ has made me. All of the sin issues, in some form or fashion, you could peel that onion back to say, if you understood and you had great confidence in the life that Christ had secured for you, the struggles would begin to become less as you remember and stand firm in the fact that you know you have eternal life. I heard one pastor ask this question, so what word would you use to describe Jesus? And he answered, or he asked that question rhetorically, and his response was, relaxed. 
Why was Jesus so relaxed? He was relaxed because he knew exactly what he intended to do. And he knew that there was nothing that could thwart his plans to redeem the world. He knew exactly how he was going to do it. He knew the plan for his life and the plan to go to the cross. He had no doubts and he knew that there was nothing that could stand in the way of what he intended to do. He could relax. We too, brothers and sisters, if we follow Jesus and have that confidence, like him, we don't have to be in a hurry Like him, we don't have to be afraid. Like him, we can know that we know the eternal plan of God for our life cannot be challenged, thwarted, or changed. That's what John wants us to know, that we know we have eternal life. It's this knowledge of eternal life that then leads again to all of these other things. John essentially saying they sort of hang on those things. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And guess what flows out of this knowledge, this confidence in what Jesus has done for us? This confidence, he says in verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. John says to us, this is what the confidence in the eternal life that Christ has secured for you. This is the the fruit of that. This is what it produces that you can ask God anything because if he's given you eternal life, what lesser thing would he not give you? I've asked this before. Is it easier for Jesus to give us eternal life or to give us the answer to some prayer for this life? He went to a cross to secure our eternal life. If he gave us that, he's not gonna hold back anything else. We can have confidence and John uses our prayer and the fact that God answers our prayer and hears us as a proof text in a sense, a a way of validating the reality that he's given us eternal life and we can have confidence in that eternal life and the way that we see that is that if we can ask because he's given us eternal life, we can come to him in prayer and ask anything according to his will. Now, I know you're frustrated because I put that caveat, and I didn't put it there. God's word put that caveat, if you ask anything according to his will. So, all those lists of things that we just started praying for immediately, thinking we might get them in the morning. No, God is not some genie in the bottle. That's not what John is saying here. He is saying, though, that if God has given us eternal life, the confidence that we have in that eternal life leads us to go to our Father and ask anything according to his will and know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Our challenge, of course, in this, as we know that he hears our prayers, is that we sometimes lose sight of the reality that we are finite and God is infinite. We can have confidence that he hears our prayers. He answers those prayers. He does not always answer them in the timing that we think of because he's not bound by time. We might not yet see the answer to that prayer. But we can have confidence if we ask according to his will that he hears those prayers and he will perfectly answer those prayers in the way that accomplishes his purpose. And so because of the confidence that we have in the eternal life, we can also come to God in prayer with confidence that he hears those prayers. If you think about having that confidence, we can again look to Jesus who modeled this for us, even in the garden as he's about to go to the cross. He briefly says, Father, would you take this cup from me? But then immediately after that says, your kingdom come, 
your will be done. Your will be done. If we understood, if we had the confidence that we know that we know we have eternal life, John says, essentially, we would pray more. And why wouldn't we pray more? If we understand that we can go to our Father and ask, and that he hears our prayers, and that he answers those prayers, why wouldn't we pray? Unfortunately, I think we've been distracted, a little bit persuaded by the realities of the brokenness of this world that we pray again, and sometimes we don't see the answer to our prayers immediately. We don't see the answer to our prayers in the exact ways that we wish they would be prayed, because again, in our pride, sometimes we forget that we aren't God, and although we kind of think to ourselves, I think I'd make a pretty good God, we're not God. And we need to remember that. And as we have seen that and kind of been frustrated by that, I understand the reality. Sometimes what happens is we stop praying because we stop believing that God really hears those prayers. But here's what we know to be true, friends. And I believe that most of us who have spent any time in prayer for another person or for our own lives have seen the answers to those prayers. We know that the sovereign God of the universe who has a perfect plan for the world, and this is a mystery that I don't claim to quite grasp. My little brain... Train wreck mind, can't quite get my arms around this one. But the sovereign God of the universe says that I will accomplish my sovereign plans that are bigger than you and above you and over you. I will accomplish those in answer to your prayer. As we pray, the sovereign says, I'm going to accomplish my will through answer to your prayer. That's an invitation to pray. That's why we must pray. If you haven't heard about this, I hope maybe you would look into it, but we've seen what's being called revival sparked all across the country on college campuses. I happen to know one, a few college students that are involved in some of that. I know some leaders on college campuses and some pastors around the country that have been involved in some degree or another. And here's what I can promise you, what I can testify to you about. What God is doing on those college campuses is a response to his people praying. They are fervently seeking him in prayer. Those students want God. They're not satisfied with all the things of this world. They want to know him and they want to see him move and they are praying fervently. We must be a people of prayer. The confidence that we have in what Christ has secured for us should give us a confidence to run to God. Church family, as a church, we have shifted a little bit of our calendar as we move to three worship gatherings on Sunday morning. Some of our Sunday evening things you may have picked up if you've been around here long. We kind of move some things around on our calendar. So let me give you a, 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 a heads up. Um, if you were to go, just take your phones out right now. I'm giving you one time to be permission to be on your phones, kids. Go to March 30th and put on that date, March 30th, night of prayer. It's a Thursday evening. We're going to be here to pray. Raise your hand if you're not going to be there. You all just said you're coming to prayer on March 30th, all right? So just know that I'll be holding you accountable to that. We're going to get, we'll get more room if we have to. But we're going to come together. And we'll do this periodically throughout the year on a Thursday evening. But to come to the Lord and seek him through prayer. If you've got a friend, by the way, that you're not so sure they want to listen to some yay who preach a long sermon, then bring them to night of prayer. They're just going to pray. You're going to be able to pray for them. And they're going to sing to, we're going to sing songs. Let's kind of get to peer in to what we're doing. A great place to invite a friend. Thursday, March the 30th, be here for our first night of prayer of 2023. John says, because we know that we have eternal life. 
we also know that he hears our prayers. And as he hears our prayers, he then gives us this exhortation. Verses 16 and 17 is a bit of a confusing couple of verses. It's also one of those things that proves to us or sort of tells us that John validates that John is the author of this letter. Because one of John's habits is as he's talking about something, his mind will go sort of, he had a little ADD. His mind would go over here and he'd say, oh, let me explain this a little bit. And as he's talking about prayer and the call to pray and that we should pray and ask God, he turns to caring for our brothers, those that he's told us that we should love. And the way that he calls us to love is, he says, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and will give him life. He says, when you see your brother or your sister, your family member, the one who is one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, when they are in sin, when sin creeps up in their life, He calls us, because we know he hears our prayers, that we should intercede for them. We should step in as brothers and sisters in Christ who love them well and say, I'm going to pray for them. One of the things that is so special about Jesus and the confidence that we have in Christ is that sometimes you may have heard this or felt this, I don't even know what to pray. And the scripture tells us that Jesus himself is interceding at the right hand of the Father. When we don't have the words to speak, We don't know how to pray when the grief or the hurt or the pain, the suffering, whatever it is that we're enduring is too great. We don't even know how to pray. Jesus is there praying for us, interceding for us. John tells us as he's talking about this idea of prayer, he says, we too should intercede for our brothers. When we see sin, we should intercede. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask God and will give him life. We should intercede for one another. This is what we do as we believe that God hears our prayers. We come before one another and we pray for one another. This is, by the way, what we do in fight clubs. If you haven't been around very long, you're not familiar with that term, that's one of the things I'd love to talk with you about. I'll be down front, talk with you about a fight club, but here's essentially what that is. A fight club is three or four believers getting together to read God's word, to open up God's word, to study God's word, to be transformed by the renewal of their mind through the study of God's word and to pray for one another. Here's what I know just factually. The last time we had a corporate prayer gathering, there wasn't anyone in the room, and I understand why, that raised their hand and said, I need to confess some sin. By the way, that type of thing did start happening at those revivals because the spirit of God was so present there. There was such faithfulness that they could do that. But in this room, there's, that's, that's, that's not happened. But I have seen that happen in small gatherings of believers, three or four people. I've heard and seen people confess sin and say, I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling with this sin. Lust, greed, anger, frustration. And the Lord ministers to people as they come together and we pray for one another. That's why we do fight clubs here. That's why we exhort you to get engaged with a few other believers and commit to meeting together. And you can do that whenever you want to do it. We don't schedule it for you. I love it. One of my favorite things right now is walking into George's and seeing a small fight club meeting, walking into the coffee shops, the restaurants around town, and I'll see two or three guys, two or three ladies with their Bibles open. It's probably the sweetest gift that the Lord's been giving me over the last couple months as I've seen our fight clubs multiply. Get engaged with a few other believers, and here's what John's word says to us. Intercede for one another. Bring your sin, and what he's describing here, just so you can have some clarity, and this sin that leads to death, this confusing, by the way, there's been a lot of debate over the centuries about what John is talking about here. But our best understanding of what John is saying when he describes sin not leading to death is sin that can be repented of. 
He's not singling out a specific sin. It's been sort of a misunderstanding of God's word. He's not saying, well, there's this sin that leads to death and all these other sins that don't lead to death. No, any sin leads to death if it's not repented of. And he's saying to us that we intercede for one another and we pray and we say, would you bring that sin into the light and and repent of that sin? And as you repent of that sin, you will have life. You may be familiar with this verse, Romans 6, 23. I didn't put it on the screen behind me, but it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin that goes unrepented of, that is undealt with, that sin does lead to death. The wages of sin is death. But praise be to God. We are able to confess that sin, to bring it into the light. And as we confess that sin and as we pray for our brothers and sisters and intercede for them, they're able to come to a place of repentance. And what does he say when that happens? We shall ask God and God will give him life. God will. We know that as we intercede for one another, God will bring life. The sin that leads to death, friends, is the sin that goes unrepented. So if there's some sin in your life, something that you've just been holding on to, just know that that sin is multiplying and growing and strengthening and building and building and it will do that as long as you hold that sin in the dark. But the moment you bring that sin into the light and by God's grace, you find a safe place, perhaps again, a fight club, two or three other believers where you can bring that sin into the light and they can intercede for you and you can intercede for them and you can bring that to repentance and prayer. God will give you life. We can know that because that's what Jesus does. First Samuel chapter 12 describes Samuel saying that I can't sin against God by stopping to pray for you. I want you to think about that. Samuel says to Israel, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. I don't want to sin by ceasing to pray for you. That's the call to prayer. Notice again in verse 17, he says, as he's wrapping up this sort of topic of praying for one another, interceding for one another so that we could have life, all wrongdoing is sin. This is what gives us that clarity about what he's talking about. He's not singling out one sin or the other, not saying that this one sin is the one sin that leads to death and there is another. All wrongdoing is sin and all sin leads to death until we give it to Jesus, until we confess it and we repent of it and he gives us life. We can know that he hears our prayers and we can know that he gives us life as we confess that. Friends, I don't want you to come to prayer on March 30th because Pastor Ryan beat you up about it. I want you to come to prayer on March 30th and I want you engaged in a fight club and praying for one another because you understand the joy that it is to see Jesus bring life from death in answer to our prayers. We've seen that. Our men's Bible study, Tuesday a.m., 6 a.m., See y'all there in a couple weeks or two days from now, sorry. We pray every Tuesday morning for one another and we've seen God answer prayers as we intercede for one another. It's a great place to meet some people, pray. We can also know that we have eternal life. We know that we eternal life. We can then know that he hears our prayers because of that. We can also know that sin will not have the last word. As we look at verses 18, 19, and 20, John gives us three statements that all begin, look at those words, we know, we know, and we know. We have confidence. 
Verse 18, we know that everyone has been, who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We can know because of Jesus that sin will not have the last word. Those of us who have been born again, we don't revel in our sin. We confess it to God. We confess it to one another. 1 John 3, 9 said, if you go back a few weeks, no one born of God makes a practice of sin. But here's the amazing thing. God hears the prayers that we lift up for one another and he, he himself guards us. God will protect us. We can know that we have eternal life and we can know that whatever the sin issue is that we're dealing with, we can take it to him and he will protect us. This is the promise that Paul relates to us at the very end of his book, uh, Letter to the Romans. In 1620, he says, the God of peace, here's good news, friends, the God of peace will soon, soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, the God who you have peace with because of what Jesus did, not because of yourself, but because of what Jesus did on your behalf, you know how peace and fellowship with God, you're a child of God. That peace that you have with God gives you assurance that you can know sin will not have the last word, but Satan will be crushed. He will be finally defeated. We can know, secondly, that we are children of God. In verse 19, he says, we know that we are from God. And he clarifies this by saying, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know we are from God, even though everywhere we look, we see a world that is ruled by evil. Have you looked around and seen a world that is looked by evil? But don't, isn't it such a, a peaceful thing, a helpful thing to know that we are God's children in spite of what we see? Yes, the evil one right now is ruling this world, but we are not of him. We are children of God. How do we know we are children of God? Back to 1 John chapter 3 again from a few weeks ago. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Who are the children of the one that is ruling this world? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. But for those of us who are children of God, we have demonstrated that by our love for one another, by our desire to pray for one another, by our desire to encourage one another, by our desire to come together and, and care for one another and all these things as we love one another, as we live lives that reflect obedience, not perfect obedience, we're still in the process of sanctification. There's still issues that I struggle with, but there's more and more obedience in my life as a result of following after Jesus, my love for Jesus. And so I know that I'm a child of God. And so no matter what this world looks like, no matter the circumstances, I can know I'm a child of God and I have eternal life. Finally, John says in verse 20, and we know, that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You know, friends, I am very aware because of the fact that this world is ruled by the enemy today, we look very strange living as citizens of the kingdom of God. We stand out. We look odd. In fact, 1 Corinthians, in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he says, the natural person, that's those that are walking around this world, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are a folly to him. We are fools in the eyes of this world. We look foolish so often. 
because, it says, he's not able to understand these things because they're spiritually discerned. But here's the good news. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we know that the Son of God has come. And he's given us, through his Spirit, the ability to understand that. That's his grace to you, that you can comprehend that Jesus has come. Here's where I'm at. Right now, you may have not put your faith in Jesus. You may not believe what I believe about Jesus. You may not have that confidence that you know that he went to a cross for your sins. But as you hear these words being spoken to you, God's word being spoken to you, you're able in your mind to say, I understand what he is saying. You're in the perfect place, friend, because God's Holy Spirit is opening up your heart and mind to believe that that Jesus that I do believe in, he also came for you and he loves you and you can know the truth. He's given us understanding that we may know him who is true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, Jesus says, you would know my Father also. From now on, here's good news to his disciples. You have seen my Father. You do know him because you've seen me. We are known by God because we know Jesus and because Jesus knows us. We know the truth. He is the truth. Have confidence, brothers and sisters. Relax in your sure and complete knowledge that you know Jesus. And if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. There's nothing that could be greater than that. There's not something that sits above eternal life. You have eternal life. If you're one of my friends, as I shared this morning, just moments ago, you're not sure about that. You lack some of that confidence. Here's my invitation to you. As the worship team leads us in this next song, examine your heart. Run to Jesus. Repent of your sin and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. That's all he asks. Know Jesus. You'll notice that not one time did God's word or did I reference, you can go replay the tape, that any of this is self-confidence. It's one of the lies that this world sort of peddles on us and sometimes as Christian, because we're sort of, you know, baked into this world, we're marinating in it. We can sometimes begin to believe that that confidence that we have comes from within. If I sound confident, I'm not self-confident. I am confident, but I'm confident in Jesus. I'm confident in what he has done for me. There's no self-confidence here. That's not what John is describing. The confidence that we are after the hope that I want for each and every one of us to have is a confidence that we know Jesus and Jesus has given us eternal life through his blood on the cross. That's where our confidence comes from. We're gonna sing some of my favorite words that declare to the Lord and perhaps even for our own hearts, you might need to just let this be a prayer because you maybe have drifted a little bit. He will hold me fast. He is the one who holds me. He is the one that my confidence is in, not myself. That's, by the way, why I need you.
Because without you, I'd quickly forget that. My pride would creep up. I'd start to believe lies. But as we love one another and care for one another in this church family, I'm reminded of what is true, where my confidence comes. Have that confidence in Jesus. Let's sing. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m., and we look forward to meeting you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God, the good of the city, and the hope of the world. Oh, oh you say.